Fan. Minnesota and eight and one radio is in the air from Twin Cities Orthopedics Performance Center. This is nine to noon. I'm Paul Allen. Nordo produces on site, and Brett Blakemore guides the Great Ship Love Covenant from the six five one Carpet Studios at FM one hundred point three. The kids call it KFAM, and uh, we have bonus Florio today. Uh, Mike Florio, ProFootballTalk.com, and uh, also the author of uh, the book Playmakers, NBC's Football Night in America, is in the equation. A couple of segments with uh, Mr. Florio today, and we uh, we begin with the Minnesota Vikings, Michael, being number one in the Pro Football Talk Power Rankings. Why these? Why the ascension to the top dog? Well, let me just say this so there's no misunderstanding for anyone who may be listening. I only agreed to do two segments if you agreed to double my pay. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, well, yeah, we're going to triple it. Okay, well, good. Even better. So, Yeah, for sure. So you get three bobbleheads next time. The power rankings. No, don't send any more of those. My dog hates <laughs> the Paul Allen bobblehead. I had to take it to the barn. I was going to leave it in the house. My dog yeah. is very irritated by the Paul Allen bobblehead voice. It's fine until I press the button. The moment it starts talking, that's when she loses her mind. Anyway. Eagles fans losing their mind at the fact that the Vikings vaulted to number one in the power rankings because hashtag the Eagles beat the Vikings. Well, that Mm -hmm. was week two. That was a long time ago. You know, Mm -hmm. the power rankings for me are kind of like the old AP. Remember when it was UPI? AP and UPI polls? Oh, yeah. It's the college football poll concept that has taken kind of a hit in recent years because it's no longer the end-all, be-all to determine the national champion since they have a playoff. But, you know, if you're number one and you lose, you drop. You drop, period. Yep. And it doesn't matter who you've beaten. You drop. And the fact that that Vikings-Eagles game happened so long ago relative to the season and where we are now, yeah, the Eagles had to drop. And the Vikings are the only one-loss team other than the Eagles who couldn't stay at number one after losing. Mm-hmm. And, and the Vikings just went into Buffalo. And got the ultimate Chuck Foreman snowball revenge and beat the Bills in one of the most thrilling regular season games I've ever seen in my entire life. And and people, oh, what about Chiefs-Rams a few years ago? This was a different kind of exciting. First of all, 
Wins like that don't happen for the Vikings. I, I think this is the most significant road victory since week 598 at Lambeau Field, the Randy Moss coming out party. And right. that wasn't a close, exciting game. That was just, you know, the Packers' two-time Super Bowl appearance. They were the defending conference champions in 98. Mm-hmm. They go in there and and beat the crap out of them with Moss going crazy. That, that was yep. a huge night. And this is significant in a different way, but it just shows that this team can go on the road and beat a good team. And, and, uh, and so they, they end up at number one because the number two team, the Chiefs, already were behind the Vikings. They've got two losses, and they lost to Buffalo at home. So mm-hmm. I, I, I think there's no other team that would be number one right now other than maybe the Chiefs. But, again, they lost to the Bills at home. They have two losses, and the Vikings just beat the Bills in Buffalo supposedly the Super Bowl favorite, the MVP favorite. That's all changed, obviously, the last two weeks. And, uh, yeah, now, is it going to last? Well, the Vikings have to keep winning because the moment they lose, that's when the Chiefs go to number one. So the the road playoff victory at New Orleans, that that wouldn't be more significant? significant. No, no. Well, Well, we got killed the next week. We got killed the next week, and it's not like the Saints were a powerhouse then. That, That... and, and it's a dome. I'm talking about taking a dome team outdoors yeah. into the elements against an elite team, not a Saints team that right. that wasn't a clear cut. Now, the 2009 NFC Championship game, this is not Detroit, that would mm-hmm. have been the biggest road win, obviously, since 98 at Green Bay, but you know right. how that went all too well. So, uh, yeah, I just I, – and just to have – it, it was like riding a roller coaster that you knew in your heart was going to end with the roller coaster on the tracks, but there were times you just weren't sure. Yeah. You know, and once Jefferson made that catch, Paul, I thought there's no way the Vikings lose this game. But my God, what a circuitous route to get to that point where they didn't lose the game. Right. Well, the and and, and in 2009, you know, which if, if the comparisons are taking place, which they are up here, because the the team is eight and one for the first time since 2009, and that 09 team six and zero, oh, they go to Pittsburgh. Favre starts dropping it. Lamar Woodley picks one up, gets to the end zone. You know, from there, it's not like it was up and down, bump and grind. But they had road games at Arizona, and, and Arizona was decent. They didn't win that. Uh, they lost on Sunday night football at Carolina. Carolina. Yeah. They lost it on Monday night football in overtime when Devin Aroma should do, put a double move on Antoine Winfield and, and caught one from Cutler and walked off on them. So, uh, yeah, I you know, the, the way you lay that out, um, you're absolutely accurate. I mean, unless you want, unless you want to go to 98 Thanksgiving, Moss three catches, three touchdowns. Cowboys, what... Cowboys weren't good then, though. They, they right. weren't an elite team then. It was a great. Right. It was a great. If there was any doubt that the Vikings are ready to try to get to a Super Bowl, and if there was any doubt, I remember the, the feeling that I had as a fan the day after that Cowboys game in in '98. That that probably is the closest to how it felt in the aftermath of the game on Sunday. So you know, even though. I think the win at Green Bay was more consequential and had more meaning. There was a greater degree of jubilation, I think, in the fan base after that win at Dallas because they they still had, yeah, you know their 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 best players. They just had fallen off a little bit. But to go in there and have Randy Moss three catches, 153 yards, and three touchdowns, I mean, and mm. the way that, 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 that those plays unfolded, and it was just, yeah, that was that was a pretty big game. But again, it was never really in doubt. Right. The, the thing about this one is, 
2710 and then 2717 and about to That's be 3417 and, yep. and just all the needles that had to be threaded yeah. to make it work it was just incredible it was like it was like half a season of football jammed into mm. you know an hour and a half well i mean if you just lay it out pragmatically the the way you just said it you're down i mean josh allen is an MVP favorite or candidate the minute the schedule comes out. So you're down 17 to him. He He's at home. It's late in the third quarter, and it looked bleak, but they find a way to win. I mean, just lay it out like that, and you're right. And with the power rankings adjacent to the Vikings, number one, profootballtalk.com, Mike Florio, profootballtalk.com. You can find the rankings there if you haven't seen them. You, you Three words that you wrote were, were telling, team of destiny. What do you mean? Well, <laughs> yeah, but you got you to add the other half of that. Mm-hmm. Team of destiny, as in destined to find another way to spectacularly lose yeah, I, in the playoffs. I stopped there. <laughs> but you know what? You know what, Paul? Hey. Here's the difference. I was thinking about this the other day. And my, my yeah. son, it's, it's, just, it's great when things like this happen because I, I remember when my son was very young trying to lure him mm-hmm. into the Vikings fandom, and it didn't work. And I thought... It was just never going to happen. You know, kids don't want to do what their dad does. That's not cool. I want to do my own thing. The mm-hmm. 2009 NFC Championship game is when the hook got set <laughs> and then ripped out of his mouth. Yeah. And I don't think anything fuses the bond for a fan more than ultimate disappointment because then you develop this overwhelming and burning desire to see it rectified. And I'm telling you, and this is not a joke. This isn't mm-hmm. a bit. This isn't hyperbole. I wouldn't be in this business if the Vikings had won a Super Bowl in the 70s. I wouldn't. Because it was that unrequited conclusion that I decided after Super Bowl XI, when I was 11 years old, I'm always as old as the Super Bowl. Same. You know, let's get one of these. We got to get one of these. Just get (laughs) me one of these. And if they had ever gotten one of those, the the thirst would have been quenched and maybe I would have gravitated toward baseball. I was a, a big baseball fan in the seventies, as big of a baseball fan as football fan at one point, but Me you know too. what? The pirates won the world series in 79 yep. that quenched it. And they beat my Orioles in 92. And when they lost to the Braves, I was like, hey, you know what? They're never going to be good again. And I just forgot mm-hmm. about baseball after that and was all in on football. And 92 yep. was when Denny green kickstarted things in Minnesota. And then it culminates in 98. And, you know, we suffered through some, some years that were anything but but awesome, but you know it swings back around every once in a while, and it's swinging back around this year. I can feel it, and my son has convinced me to just enjoy the ride, not fret about anything. And, and again, I still. <laughs> but wait, your problem. son convincing you that that here's, that's a beautiful thing. Well, and here's the and it's great because it gives us, uh, you know, something that we can talk about and enjoy yep. and. And the point I made to him, I'm sorry I digressed for like five minutes. Here's the point I was making. No, you're bad. You have a fan base that has been scarred for the last 50 years by what I've been calling the Omamshiba moment, where they rip your heart out of your chest and show it to you like in Indiana Jones in the Temple of Doom and the Omamshiba, Omamshiba. That's yeah. what happens if you're a Vikings fan. But the problem is, and this is what makes it beautiful, nobody on the team knows. They don't know. They weren't even born. They don't care. Right. They, they don't. They're not invested in that. They don't think of it that way. They don't have that fatalistic attitude that has been borne out over time by being right. a fan of the Vikings. They're just here. We are doing our job, and we got something special going. And what are you talking about? Ninety-eight. I wasn't even alive in nineteen ninety-eight. 
So, and you got, you know, coaching staff that they, they, they don't care about that. They don't, the, the, the people who matter most to this effort have no idea <laughs> that, that, you know, it's been 50 years of pain and torture and heartache mm-hmm. for a fan base that has just been trying to get to the top of the mountain or even close to it. You know, as bad as 0-4 in the Super Bowl, Paul, is 0-7 in the NFC Championship since the last Super Bowl appearance. Jeez. Oh, and seven. I know. Hey, the the uh, Kirk Cousins n- never has made better throws than he's making this year, and he he is a statistical anomaly for a fantasy football culture because a lot of his numbers are not nearly as good as they have been the last three or four years. But it, it, what's telling there, Michael, is is the quality over the quantity. Some of these throws he's making, including those 50-50s to Justin Jefferson, uh, The uh, there was a touchdown left hash front right of the end zone to K.J. Osborne in the Arizona Cardinals game. It, they're, they're the best throws he's made of his career. And, you know, the, the Kirko Chains piece, ha- has it seems it markedly has freed him to lead because he knows his teammates accept him and 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 love him and you know he, he kirk whether you like him or not is super humble um and he does not he he abhors attention that that like he gets with that kirk chain bit but when when the team brings you in <clears throat> and in essence passive aggressively low-key or just not saying we know where all the bones are buried with you ma'am and and we know what others have said for many years about leadership or lack thereof well if you're not if you're not going to take that spotlight we're going to give it to you. And when he ran 16 yards in that Bills game and lowered the shoulder pads in the helmet and put the hit on the DB, the, the reaction on the sideline was like they just won the Super Bowl. I mean, jumping up and down, running down the sideline. The, the fact that he is accepted more greatly than he ever has been in his career, that, that's an undertone to this whole thing that I think is underrated. Somebody told me a few years ago that when it comes to quarterbacks, there are some who are natural-born leaders, like a Peyton Manning, who just walk through the door. They have an aura. They take over. They need no assistance. They need no support. They need no help. They are the king, and it's obvious the moment the door swings open and they walk through it. For other quarterbacks, it's incumbent on the organization, the coaching staff, to prop up the quarterback and give him opportunities to become that guy, well to said. get the, the locker room to embrace him. And if you've yeah. got coach and quarterback not on the same page, if you've got mm-hmm. coach who grew up in the sport with a, a belief that you've got to be a little surly and you've got to be a little Parcells-ish, that's not going to prop up the quarterback in the eyes of his teammates. It's going to make it harder for the quarterback to make the connection with the teammates, and you're going to have guys like Stephon Diggs that start looking for greener pastures. That's just a byproduct of not embracing and championing your quarterback. And, yeah. you know, they're going through that in Miami right now. Brian Flores couldn't wait to get rid of Tua Tonga-Vailoa. He wanted Deshaun Watson. Now Mike McDaniel embraces Tua Tonga-Vailoa, and everybody else is too. And it's, it's a pretty simple point. And it, it just it, it shows the generational shift in coaching approach. The idea of tearing guys down in the hopes of building them up has yielded to building them up in the hopes of building them up. And yeah. and what, what what a dramatic difference in one year. And 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 again, it's it's more it's not about the former coach as much as it's about 
the style. That's all he knew, right? That that that's how that's how he was mentored. That's that's what worked. It doesn't work anymore. And what Kevin O'Connell is doing is what works currently. And and I think that's one of the big reasons why there's been this this shift in Kirk Cousins. And look at what you you know. I think what made that play so stunning, Paul. We. Did, We've seen enough Kirk Cousins in purple to know what happens after you take the sack on, on third down. Mm-hmm. Nothing happens on fourth down. You don't have a mm-hmm. chance. That, that, it, was like a, it was like a lightning strike into a tiny little bottle to make that thing happen. And in that one moment, it changes perceptions and it changes realities. And I think that's what, that's what got me to say. I mean, the moment he caught that pass, I was like, there's no way this was in this game. Yeah. And, and now, now, of course, when it was, you know, first and ten for the Bills on their one-inch line, I didn't expect what happened. But that just right. reinforced the idea that once that moment occurs and the team believes, and you know the other thing too, Paul, and I'll shut up, what happens is at the same time that the team believes that there's something special going on, you get in those moments against other teams, and you're going to have guys on the field thinking, uh-oh, here it comes. They're yeah. going to do it again. They're right. going to get a shamrock up their butt, and they're going to find a way to beat us. <laughs> Uh, Mike Florio, ProFootballTalk.com. We have a doubleheader with him today. We'll go around the league after this, maybe some more Vikings. Awesome that uh, PFT guy's joining us for two segments. Yours truly, Paul Allen, at the Twin Cities Orthopedics Performance Center, your practice home uh, for the Minnesota Vikings, preparing for the Dallas Cowboys. And courtesy of TimberTech, what's on deck 9 to noon includes Vikings defensive coordinator Ed Donatel. Uh, That's in the final segment of the show. Also, uh, a friend of mine, Miss Steph Smalls, will join us from the Motor City Davy about an hour from now uh, to chat Vikings and Giants and NFC and some gambling pieces. And um, and uh, Bob Sturm, a, a radio star down Dallas way, also covers the Vikings for uh, make that the Cowboys for the Athletic. Uh, he'll be joining about 20 minutes from now after uh, the Mike Petten report. Nordo produces on site. Eric Nordquist, man, producer. Brett Blakemore is back at FM 100.3 KFAM. And I'm Paul Allen. When we return, we'll get into the Cowboys and some more football with Mike Florio from ProFootballTalk.com. And again, don't forget about that book, Playmakers, all right? All you got to do is Google Playmakers Florio and order now uh, because it'll be an awesome, awesome Christmas gift for somebody with Christmas right around the corner. Thanks very much for listening. We'll be back with uh, PFT at You Know We when 9 to Noon continues at KFAM. But first, we got that cash thing back at uh, the 651 Carpet Studio. That cash thing, the fan and Granite Logistics. I want to give you a shot of grand in your hand at the National Cash Contest at KFAM.com. Enter the keyword deposit. That is deposit for this hour. KFAM.com, keyword deposit for a shot at a grand in your hand. More Florio next. I know I can't be free. But those people keep a moving, and that's what torture. Fan. Stop by and see us pregame on the plaza three hours before every Vikings home game this season, thanks to Shields. You can find out how you can be our rube of the game and win a $100 gift card to Shields or KFAN.com. Keyword events. Still the one at the PFG Power Rankings. Still the one. 
Yep, we're still having fun. Bikes are eight and one. As Mike Florio from ProFootballTalk.com uh, rejoins. What um, what's up with the Dallas Cowboys and and that choked away lead at Green Bay? I didn't see the game, and I know you watch a lot more than me. Uh, what 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 happened? Well, you know, the Packers rediscovered their running game, and or the Cowboys are a team that can get gashed by a good running attack. That's what makes Sunday's game interesting. The Cowboys one and a half point favorites at U.S. Bank Stadium. Doesn't that right. play right into the home team's hands? How are the Cowboys favored by one and a half points, especially after losing at Green Bay on Sunday? But the concern is, if you're a Cowboys fan, that the defense can't stop the run. You got. Dalvin Cook and Alexander Madison, who can soften things up. Then you introduce some play action, and you've got J.J. and T.J. and Adam Thielen, who can, and K.J. also, who can, who can take advantage of that. So I think that's the key. Yep. There was an interesting stat from ESPN Stats and Information that the Packers had the highest percentage of run plays of any game during Aaron Rodgers' tenure as starting quarterback and also the highest rate of play action passes when they did throw the ball since 2020. So mm-hmm. they came out there determined to run, and it worked, and that may be what the Vikings need to do. now. And this is part of the chess match that goes in the week-to-week grind that is the NFL. Will the Vikings zig or zag? Will they just come out and try to do exactly what the Packers did, or will they think the Cowboys are going to be determined this week to stop the run? We've got to stop the run and stop the run, and you start gashing them early over the top, with a little play action, it, it's going to be it's going to be fascinating to see what the Vikings do. And you know, th- this is another quality team. Two straight weeks, quality team. Well, they they beat a better team in the Bills on the road. That dome is going to be rocking on Sunday. Uh, and uh, it's it you know the Cowboys are good, but they're not great. And uh, there's a long history between these two franchises. And uh, it, it's it's going to be interesting to see if the Cowboys recover from losing that game in overtime on Sunday in Green Bay. Michael, the um, uh, the the Thursday night football Amazon piece that uh, that you posted about seven o'clock cornfields last night, it, it's intriguing because the games have been crap and Atlanta Carolina was bad and and here after telling advertisers that it would average uh, twelve and a half million viewers for Thursday night football on Prime Video and then quibbling with Nielsen as to the accuracy of the numbers, Amazon Prime has seen the official ratings slip to a season low. So is it because not everybody has Amazon or Amazon Prime, or the games have been bad, or both? Well, it's a combination of things. This is a shift that is going to take some time. The NFL is trying to get ahead of what is coming, which is basically, I don't want to say the death of traditional TV, but... Traditional TV is already over as we've known it. It's been a gradual process. It started with cable 40 years ago. I mean, Paul, when we were kids, there were three channels. 30 million people would tune in to watch Carol Burnett on Saturday night. When Saturday Night Live debuted in 75, 76, there were 22 million people watching it every week. I mean, the competition was sleep. For Yeah, there was nothing else on. Yeah. So now there is so much else out there and so many other ways people can spend their time. The one thing that draws an audience together, a significant audience together simultaneously is pro football. The problem is, as you go from the current model to streaming, what is your ceiling ever going to be? Is it going to be 20 million again? They had 29 million watching Cowboys Packers this weekend. They had 40 million last Thanksgiving watching Raiders Cowboys, and I bet it's going to be between 43 and 45 million next Thursday when Giants Cowboys play, leading into Patriots Vikings on Thanksgiving night. But 
it's the combination of streaming. The games aren't good. I think Amazon's expectations were too high. I think they were trying to speak it into existence. You know, oh, we're going to have $12.5 million per game average to make people think, oh, I better tune in or I'm going to be missing something. The numbers are falling short because the games haven't been good, and it's going to be an interesting test the rest of the way because most of the games over the balance of the package this season are pretty good, starting with Titans-Packers tomorrow night. So we'll see. they got a, they got uh, a Cowboys game coming up. They've got a Bills-Patriots game coming up. They've got some good games still on the docket, and we'll see if it turns those numbers around. But the question is, what is that ceiling ever going to be? Is it going to be 20 million who are simultaneously watching an Amazon stream, or or is that just going to just slide downward as the the ceiling has has gradually over the last 50 years gotten lower and lower? It's still the the, the strongest, most potent product out there for getting an audience together all at once, but the maximum may go down even as our population keeps going up. Uh, last one to those PFT power rankings, ballyhooed as they are. ProFootballTalk.com with Mike Florio. New York Giants at four. It's written quietly, methodically. They just keep rolling. Uh, Brian, Brian Dayball, favored for coach of the year, potentially. Is, is that the major factor here, or is there more? Well, Dayball has come in with a roster that had not done anything in recent years. And maybe the roster wasn't that bad. Maybe it was the coaching. Who knows? But they have carried over a lot of the guys that were there, just like Kevin O'Connell and Kwesi Adolfo Mensah have. Joe Shane, the new GM of the Giants, and Brian Dayball have gone forward with the guys they inherited, and it's working. There's a, there's a Vikings-Giants game coming up that yep. is going to be pretty damn compelling and consequential to the NFC playoff standings. So... Yeah, I think Dayball right now, you look at it, Dayball, O'Connell, Mike McDaniel, three yep. first-year coaches who are going to get guys fired. This is the kind of year where if you're a coach and, and you're not getting it done and you have an owner who's even mildly impatient thinking, well, look, the Vikings, the Dolphins, and the Giants figured it out. I'll go get myself an instant winner next year um it 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 really it really makes coaches look bad to have guys who come in with no experience whatsoever and they figure it out and i think it makes it even more likely the broncos are going to say see you later nathaniel hackett because Mm. it it manifests itself quickly whether you have it or not whether you are going to be a kevin o'connell or a brad childress where you're not suited for that next job up on the stack and some guys are just good coordinators, like Josh McDaniels. Josh McDaniels may be the next North Turner. Great yeah. coordinator. So great as a coordinator from time to time, an owner's going to say, hey, I'll make him the head coach. Oh, wait, I shouldn't have done that. And then he goes back and he's a coordinator. Hey, he's really good. Maybe I'll make him a head coach. No, I shouldn't have done that. There's a chance that McDaniels falls in that category. McDaniel, Dayball, and O'Connell, the category of guys who step into that next job and do it really well. That was awesome, my brother. Thanks for the double good dip. Good I'll call you next week, all right? See you. Mike Florio, ProFootballTalk.com. That book, Playmakers, excellent uh, for Christmas gift-giving, very easy to find. In fact, on the front page of ProFootballTalk.com, on the right, like in the middle, you can find it right there. Uh, we thank Mike Florio for uh, the old Ernie Banks trick. Uh, did a doubleheader. Let's play two with uh, Mike Florio. And uh, when we return, uh, Bob Sturm, a uh, radio host down Dallas Way, also a writer for The Athletic. He covers the Dallas Cowboys. He was at Lambeau. Uh, we will get some adversarial intel from Bob Sturm around the corner. But first, the weekday and a daily 
Mike Pettin report updating you on the Minnesota Vikings. Enter they are. Time now for the Vikings report on the fan presented by the Minnesota Lottery. Vikings assistant coach Mike Pettin joins PA after this from the Minnesota Lottery. EKFAN. friend of mine, Bob Stern. He's a drive-time radio host uh, on a big-time station down up Big D-Way called The Ticket. And uh, he writes about the Dallas Cowboys for The Athletic and TheAthletic.com. Yours truly been a subscriber since day one. And um, Bob Stern joins us now. Uh, Bob, how was Lambeau Sunday? I, I know the Wisconsin boy in you loves it there every time you get a chance to go. So did you love it? Oh, how could you not love it? You know, I'm uh, well. I, I, I probably am, you know, speaking to an audience that uh, has mixed reviews about Lambeau Field. But uh, let me just say, I go back about once a year, mm-hmm. and uh, it's usually best if I'm not in a work capacity because uh, you know we we have to be fair and balanced, of course. But uh, correct. But yes, it's it's uh, it's mecca for me, and I, I love going back there. And uh, the place was uh, they were all zombies. Until about the second uh, quarter, when uh, Christian Watson gave them life, and uh, suddenly the place, uh, you know, came to life, and uh, it was a fun afternoon for sure. But but given the average age of the fan base at Lambeau Fields, about sixty-seven and a half, isn't it always kind of zombie-like? Hey, you know, I uh, I, I, I certainly recognize that uh, there is some history there, PA. A little bit. Doesn't all go back as far as you know, 2016 or however uh, however old this <laughs> building is, right? Yeah. Hey, well, with Lambo, uh, because you, I mean, you know, you you know, I hold deeply rooted reverence for Lambo Field. I mean, it's it's not the loudest stadium in the National Football League. They've remodeled it twice over the last 20 years. But when you're rolling through the streets of Green Bay and, you know, there's disdain and, and, and avarice and, you know, they're, they're clearly, clearly, you know, that, that you have arrived by them telling you you're number one with the wrong finger. Okay. Well, that, that, that's been, I mean, for, for all the years I've called games, that's been pretty much every single time with, with Lambeau Field. Do, do you feel the same appeal after those multiple remodels over a couple of decades? I mean, it's different. And it's bigger, but I, you know, I, I still dig it a lot. I think they've done a good Me job. Too. Uh, you know, it's, it's tough. You know, it's these, these cathedrals that, uh, that we hold dear, your Wrigley's and your Fenway's and South Bend and, and then Lambeau. I, you know, I, you, you want to maximize, you want to stay competitive with revenue strength, but you also want to preserve what is special about it. And I, I think they've done a pretty good job. Uh, I had never been in that upper level before on that end zone. And mm-hmm. I was there on a Sunday 
And it's funny. It's all perspective because some people will say, uh, you know, you're, you're almost as high as the flyover, which is, mm-hmm. uh, which I suppose is true. It's very high, especially by Lambeau standards. But uh, honestly, if you compare it to Cowboy Stadium, it's actually a good seat up there compared yeah. to how crazy high you can get in Dallas. So it's all good. It was Bob, a fun trip. Bob, the, uh, uh, the, the athletic piece on Green Bay running down Dak and Dallas and winning the game despite being down 28 14. Uh, wonder, wonderfully done. You know, I read, I read most of your, your pieces with teams, uh, well, like Dallas teams that, uh, that we're going to play later in the season. I'm, you know, I'll follow the athletic closely because you guys do such a comprehensive job all over the league with the National Football League. And I really appreciate that. Now, but with Dak, Dak Prescott in three, when in, I'm starting to watch back the, the all 22 and, and, and the TV copy of the game against Green Bay. And it seems to me, Dak is throwing off his back foot more than I can remember. And when I see that, even if it's in truncated fashion, my first thought was he's protecting that thumb. You think there's anything to it? Yeah, I do. I I, I think... I think he is a slightly different version of himself, and and it doesn't look completely calm. And you know, around here, and I assume this is similar up where you guys are. the The internal pressurization of of just the moment of this point of the season it just makes everybody sort of tense up against uh, against history. And, uh, you know, the Cowboys uh, carry a lot of uh, burden of history with them. So do the Vikings, of course, for different reasons. But, but uh, it's, you know, you can, see, you can see him wearing it on his face on Sunday a little bit, that, uh, that he's not happy with where he is and what he's doing. And, uh, of course, there, believe it or not, there's a underswell of uh, Cooper Rush people still that, right. uh, that say, hey, they were 4-1 and one with Cooper. You know why? Why isn't he out there? Which, which I think is ridiculous. But at the same time, uh, Dak is carrying forty million a year with him, and people always go back quickly to that, as they should, and uh, and demand that uh, he makes it very clear why he's one of the best quarterbacks in the league. And and he hasn't quite done that this season. There's no doubt about it. Bob Sturm, the ticket in Dallas, the Athletic and theAthletic.com used to be bad radio, but that's not the case anymore. It is C.D. Lamb as dominant sans Amari Cooper? Um, interesting. Uh, he's clearly their number one. He's clearly productive, and yet he leaves people wanting more every week. And so, uh, I, I probably the truth is in the middle. Um, also it's very, to this day, uh, a very much a mystery why Amari Cooper was dismissed. Some people say because, you know, he, he got on their bad side by missing a couple games because he wasn't vaccinated last year. And so he missed two key games around Thanksgiving and they lost them both. And so, uh, you know, it was a belief that the front office sort of shut down their commitment to him when, when, uh, he went that route. And, and I don't know if that's completely true, but, it was a very odd decision when the wide receiver market was exploding to trade Amari Cooper for a fifth round pick. It, you know, it's just like, what are you doing? They just wanted to move his contract, I guess. Then the wide receiver market showed us that 20 million is not that crazy for a guy of Amari Cooper's stature. So is CD lamb a number one? Uh, probably is, are, is the Cowboys offense better without multiple threats? No, no, no way at all. So that's yep. why, 
they're flirting with Odell Beckham every week is the belief that uh, they have a they have a vacancy, which they made themselves for no real apparent reason. Bob, where are the Dallas Cowboys consistently vulnerable on defense, and why? Well, I would say the running game is a product of a great pass rush that is great because they stunt more than any team in the NFL. So it could be uh, TE stunts or ET stunts or games or twists or whatever you want to say. The Cowboys have movement in their front four more than anybody. And what that does, of course, is it causes a lot of havoc on offensive lines and pass pro. The flip side, though, is when you're exchanging gaps and you're doing all this movement, if they catch you with a run at the right situation, they can gash you big time. Like uh, the Aaron Jones touchdown on Sunday is a great example of the Cowboys stunting and opening up a hole because they weren't all on the same page. So they're vulnerable because of what makes them special in a different department. They're great at rushing the passer. They can absolutely throw a quarterback around the field, though, on a given day with Micah Parsons and Demarcus Lawrence. But they give up something to get that. And uh, the last few opponents, and uh, people anticipate the Vikings on Sunday, have been able to attack that and actually have great success. What do you think of linebacker Leighton Vander Esch? And the reason I ask is, is I tape a one-on-one interview with Vikings head coach Kevin O'Connell every week. Oh, good for you. And when he was talking about Leighton Vander Esch, I mean, he, there was glowing praise. And, but, but I remember when Kevin Stefanski, coach of the Browns, was here, and you know it was that Sunday night game uh, where the Vikings pulled the upset, I think, in 2019, and really some other scenarios, too, where running at Vander Esch is like the thing. Like, like you got to run at him. And well, you, you run at Parsons to take him off his game because he's so dynamic pass rushing. Yeah. But, but what do you think of Leighton Vander Esch? Uh, it, it's interesting because it's a little like the Dak conversation where if you say, well, he's a first-round pick that needs, say, $10 million a year, you say that's not good enough. But now they declined his fifth-year option, and he's playing on 2 or $3 million on a one-year deal, and you're like, mm. that's a solid NFL starter. And yep. so, <laughs> so much... So much of this league is is viewed through the lens of what does this guy make, and and now that Vanderesh is kind of making you know one year deal money, uh, he actually has been pretty solid this year. The interesting thing for them is with Parsons and Anthony Barr uh, trying to get back uh, from a hamstring. Uh, it's it's fascinating to see the Cowboys decide by week basis where Micah Parsons plays. Yeah. And so and so much of the defense is dependent on, you know, the the chain reaction because he's their best linebacker, but he's also their best edge rusher. So yeah. which is which, where do you put him and what does what, what does that cause the rest of the defense to look like? And and before Anthony's hamstring injury, how was he playing? I thought he was pretty good. He started slow and started slow against the run. And he's definitely not Anthony Barr 2016 or 2015, but, uh, but, but I thought he was fine. You know, it was, it was an interesting, uh, uh, you know, signing because it did tell us that they thought in a perfect world, Michael Parsons is not even a linebacker anymore. We just want to play him at defensive end and let him go get two sacks a game. And uh, that made sense the first several weeks. Parsons has rolled his ankle. He doesn't quite look as explosive as he did. 
and they're kind of moving him around to try to deal with the run issues. And so, you know, it's it's. They're, they're, I'll put it this way: they're eager for Anthony Barr to return to uh, to active duty because um, I, I, I think I think they feel a little out of sorts right now, trying to trying to put up with his absence and trying to figure out: should we put out a rookie linebacker or should we just move Parsons back there? And then, you know, are we getting the same amount of pressure? Because you know they got Aaron Rodgers twice on Sunday, but for the most part. The Packers kept that pass rush uh, off balance with the run game, and that's probably the best and maybe only way to deal with this Cowboys pass rush because, mm. doggone, they remind me of those giant Super Bowl teams that yeah. have like six or seven really solid players to get to the quarterback. They're they're really good up front. My man, thanks a lot for the time, and um, I look forward to our next chat. God bless you, and have a wonderful day, okay? Hey, you, uh, you too, PA. Always enjoy visiting with you. Thank you, Bob Sturm, the ticket down Big D way. Also uh, writes about the Cowboys for The Athletic and theathletic.com. Coming up next, Vikes Bites from Twin Cities Orthopedics Performance Center, your Wednesday home for the 9 to one, nine to noon radio show, and 8 and 1 radio continues 